Today on the Art Support, we've got a preview of the Push Festival coming in just a matter of weeks with all its boundary-pushing multidisciplinary hijinks. Uh, plus, we'll have a look back at the best interviews of 2010, including George Strombolopoulos, Shane Koizan, and others. So uh, stay with us. to you and welcome to the Arts Report. It's January the 5th. My name is Adam Janusz and uh, you're listening to us on CITR 101.9 FM um, as well as CITR.ca if you're listening online and, uh, and maybe on podcast form um, on, um, on Thursday or Friday or whenever the heck you're hearing this. Hello to you as well in, uh, in podcast land. So uh, it is 2011. I hope you had a good uh, holiday break. I certainly did. Uh, let's see, a lot of, uh, a lot of Christmas parties, um, a lot of eating, a lot of chocolate. I will tell you that. I certainly ate my share and perhaps uh, two other people's uh, recommended holiday intake of chocolate. And uh, and I feel great about it because uh, because uh, I like chocolate. I don't know. Where, I don't know where I was going with that. Uh, I could go on. I could spin off and talk about uh, working out and how you know people get uh, put on a lot of weight on the, during the holidays and they have to work it off. But uh, I've actually been working out uh, throughout the holidays. Not that uh, not that that's relevant in any way, shape, or form. But um, all I will tell you is, as someone who didn't really like working out in the past. Uh, the more you do it, uh, the, the funner it gets. So uh, if, if um, going to the gym is a New Year's resolution of yours, um, give it a shot and don't give up. Yeah, it's going to suck at first, but um, it's, more about, uh, it's more than just uh, shedding the, the Christmas pounds. It's, um, it's about uh, being healthy, too. Wow, this is turning into some really uh, cheesy self-help uh, territory here. So let's get back into arts territory. Uh, on today's show... We're going to have a look back at some of uh, the best interviews uh, of 2010. And what does best mean? Well, um, we have an interview with George Strombolopoulos, uh, and I put that one in there because uh, he was really cool to talk to. He, uh, he's very comfortable, as you might expect. He's been in radio for a long time, radio and TV, and, uh, and some, had some interesting things to say about the Vancouver, or Vancouver the Canadian uh, sort of arts and culture scene. And um, who else? Uh, Shane Koizan. Uh, that was an interview I did for the Folk Fest uh, back in, I think it was May. And, um, and fun doesn't describe the interview that, uh, that we had. Uh, he was there as well as his band, The Short Story Long. Um, everyone was basically just riffing uh, off one another. And uh, Shane just took it into lewd, lewd uh, territory. And uh, and we all kept it there in Ludland and uh, and had some had some good times. So we have that for you. We also have an interview with Jamie Macbeth, um, who I interviewed at Sh- at Shambhala, which is a big fat music festival out in Eastern BC uh, back in August. And um, she was a part of uh, this group called Anchors, and they ran a harm reduction uh, scheme over at Shambhala to basically help uh, kids and, uh, and not-so-kid-like uh, people to, to be a little bit smarter about drugs uh, because drug consumption does happen. I, I know this is news to you. Um, drug consumption does happen at, uh, at music 
type events, uh, raves, if you will, uh, discotheques and the like. So, um, so that was a really informative and interesting interview. And I had many people come up to me after that show and say, man, that was great. That was a, a really great interview. So uh, we'll play that one again. And I'm leaving somebody out. Ah, yes. Die Roten Punkta. This was during the uh, Vancouver Fringe Festival in September. And uh, this interview was on the show. It was in a, in a podcast called This Fringy Life. So uh, apologies if you've already heard this interview a hundred times, but uh, it was it was one of the good good gooder interviews of the year. So uh, we're gonna replay that for you. Uh, and a little bit later in the show, we'll uh, give you a heads up about the push push the push or just push. I don't know push performing arts festival. And aside from the fringe, uh, I'm trying to think of another really important festival but you know honestly that's probably got to be it in terms of performing arts is um is fringe is a really big one and push has got to be you know in the top two top three uh, a third one that i should be mentioning but i'm not if you are if you are that third festival that's really huge in vancouver i apologize but push is definitely in the top three of the most important festivals in vancouver for performing arts and um they're always they're all about pushing the boundaries hence the word push and so they'll be they'll be doing a whole lot of that uh, this year, and we'll give you uh, a heads up from none other than the executive uh, director of Push, and that's Norman Armour. So he'll give us he'll give us the scoop on this year's festival. So uh, we should get started because these interviews are rather long. I do say. So uh, first we'll do the oh what was that? Sorry, that was my phone. Ooh, that's embarrassing. Um, uh, Shane Koizan, you may remember him from the opening ceremonies of last year's Winter Olympics, or you may remember him because he's simply awesome. It's Shane Koizan, a uh, spoken word artist extraordinaire. I interviewed him and his band, The Short Story Long, at the Vancouver Folk Music Festival last summer. As you'll hear, it was a lot of fun. And I heard uh, through the grapevine um, that, uh, that, according to Shane... It was uh, the best interview he'd ever done. So uh, that was very nice to hear. So let's get right to it. Here's uh, Shane Koizan and the Shorts Story Long. So I'm here at the Folk Fest with Shane Koizan and the Shorts Story Long. How are you guys doing today? Excellent. <laughs> Fantastical. Wonderful. Good, good words all. Um, my had the lamest one. I Wonderful. Totally, what are you thinking? Totally, <laughs> Least original. Angel astonishing. Yeah. So, uh, Shane, let me let me start with you. Um, uh, recently, I interviewed uh, Jamie Dwolf. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he uh, he had glowing glowing words to say about you, and he says that uh, basically you've become such a big star that you don't need to go to the states anymore. Is is that true? Um, well, I have a hard time. Like, I don't. I kind of left the slam scene quite a while ago just because I wanted to start doing different things and get into this, sort of the theater aspect of things. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't really tour the slam scene anymore, so, uh, but I, love, I still love going down to the States. It's just a question of what gigs I do when I'm down there. So it's not an anti-American kind of thing? Not at all, no. <laughs> There's such great people down there, Jamie being one, one of my favorites. One of my best friends, Mike McGee, lives in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. So. Okay. I love to go when I get a chance to. 
It's just a great name as well. And uh, now we're joined by uh, Stefan. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. Uh, really well. So that's that's now the, the worst. That's now the worst <laughs> one. Yeah. 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 Really? Yeah. Is it really bad? <laughs> yeah, it's no, really bad. Maya was, Maya's was wonderful, and it just kind of fell off. And now you're doing really well. Good grief. It's funny that you say that uh, that you, you wanted to kind of branch from the slam into more theatrical because Jamie's kind of doing a similar thing mm. um, by doing a sort of vaudevillian act. And um, one of the things that he said was it, he's doing it to sort of keep the, the relevance of, of poetry and to kind of, I don't know, um, keep poetry uh, sort of fresh um, to people these days who kind of consider it kind of stale and do, do you think uh, do you think you have that challenge as well are, are you reacting to that 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 poetry is sort of not considered very I don't know modern and no that's, that's a fair question you know uh, I think a lot of the times like there are so many preconceptions or preconceived notions that come along with saying the word poetry out loud like if you tell your friends oh, i'm going to a poetry reading that she's like oh my god are you serious uh no i'm gonna stay in and watch reruns of 24 thank you very much um so the, there is that to get through for sure um but i think yeah I, I do agree with jamie in that way is where it's like okay we're gonna try and keep this alive or this this art form alive the great thing about the art form itself is that it keeps evolving it keeps changing it changes with its surroundings and i think that's why there's been this resurgence of spoken word and how about uh, the musical component what does that what does that add to your words i just needed some hot people to back me up while i was on because i'm not much to look at uh, no um, i think Music adds a certain um, emotional element to the performances, and it hel it helps carry certain moments. So, I've always been a big fan of you know like bands like Seeger Rose, where it's like, okay, I can't understand what they're talking about, but this music moves me, right. and I've always I've always enjoyed that experience. So I thought, you know, why not take what I do, which people say, oh, your words move me, and add music and see if that takes it a little bit further along. So. Right. And um, just throw this to, to any of the three of you. You'll have to fight for it. Um, how does, uh, tell me a bit about the process of how do you make the music or kind of um, complement the words with the music. How does that, how does that happen? Does, does somebody write it uh, beforehand and test it out or does, do you just improvise? How does it happen? Uh, we do a mixture of things. Um, Maya is a singer-songwriter, so sometimes she already has some pieces that we try to m see if they work with uh, Shane's poetry. Otherwise, we jam, and and sometimes one person has a, a riff or a, a chord progression that they want to work on, and we try and put it along with Shane's poetry. Or he brings us the poetry, and we make music along to it. Okay, so sometimes the music comes first, and then the, the poetry is added to it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyone else want to add to that? We have to be really sort of careful to be light, light on the poetry. Uh, I mean, back him up uh, uh, in the best way possible. I mean, other groups I play with, you don't have to be so careful. You, uh, it, it, it's, we have to keep in our minds that we're just trying to enhance the poetry. And uh, I, think we're, I think we're quite successful at it. I, I'm, I'm so is that the challenge, to kind of not be too overbearing and not to kind of wash over the music, or sorry, the words? Absolutely, yeah. That, that, that's my goal anyway, uh, to just sort of not, not, not go on autopilot or anything, but uh, just sort of bring the emotion and uh, just be nice and simple and yeah just 
back them up. To, maintain, to, to still maintain dynamics in that as well, and also offer the, the songwriting elements that, you know, hopefully we have strong lyrics when Shane's not speaking his poetry, then we also have strong lyrics and a strong songwriting element in it, so it is is tricky, but it seems to be and coming along. And I require along. that you look hot while doing I just, it. I like, totally pick my nose. Yeah. <laughs> it's radio. Until you said that, no one knew. And now they all know that you picked your nose. That's how great. wonderful, Maya. That was wonderful. <laughs> and um, how did uh, how did you all come together? How did uh, how did Shane find you all, or how did you sh find Shane? I selected a team. I put my team together very carefully. No, I was uh, I was living in Vancouver for the longest time. I was I was touring with another band, Tofu, which was C.R. Avery and Mike McGee. Um, but then I moved back to the Okanagan, and um, I hooked up with my friend Maya, and w not sexually, uh, just as friends. Um, and no, because she'd always been like, I'd known Maya for a long time, and I knew she was a good singer-songwriter, and you know, musically, I thought she was very talented. And so we kind of got together and started jamming with another guy, Aaron Goodwin. And from there, and then I then I met Olivia Menel who I thought was just really sexy, and I was like, I need to have her in my group. And uh, it turns out she plays keyboard and is, has an amazing voice, so that worked out really well. And, uh, and then uh, Aaron left the group, and we were very fortunate enough. We were scared to ask him at first, because we were like, he's not going to want to play with us. He'll never play with us. But uh, Stefan Bienz joined the group and was like, thank you guys so much for including me. So it was a really, uh, it rounded out really well, I think. Is, is that a direct quote? Thank you so much for, for adding me. You can quote me on that, absolutely. But I, it was funny because a friend of mine asked me, he said, oh, my friends in uh, Shane Poison and the short story long are looking for a bass player. Can you recommend anyone? I went, uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> I can myself. <laughs> um, let me just throw this out there. How has the Olympics changed your life? It hasn't changed. Like, I think people, well, it has changed in certain ways, but I think people assume, oh, automatic, you know, sort of stardom or what it's not really like that there's sadly there's not enough you know support in place for burgeoning artists not just in bc but in canada they've slashed a lot of that sort of uh funding so how are you going to get ahead really um yeah okay it was maybe a breakout performance but what happened after that you know i've got a really loyal fan base and a lot of people travel great distances to even come to a show sometimes um, in doing the Olympics I was afraid that I might possibly lose some of those fans just because of the political ramifications that yeah, and I, come with doing the Olympics and, and I waffled on it for quite yeah, a while right. I, I remember you, you said that in the in before that that you were kind of conflicted about whether to accept the, the Olympics uh, you know spotlight or not uh, now that it's several months later have you kind of any, any closer to kind of reconciling how you feel about that? Yeah, I'm glad I did it. You know, the bottom line, you know, my my grandmother probably, you know, put it best. You know, she said, once you say no, that's it. It's gone forever. And, on it, like, the chance to perform at the Olympics comes around once in a lifetime, unless you're a multi-platinum selling artist. It's like, but for a poet, all right, yeah, I'll do it. And I, I, I think also to see spoken word on that kind of stage was, yeah. was pretty 
uh, it really changed how people saw that genre, which I think is really important for other spoken word artists too. I mean, it's you know just another step towards getting it more recognized. So, so you as a as a fellow artist did not look at him at the Olympics and say, "How dare he betray us artists by selling out to the man?" No, no, not at all. I saw dollar sign. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think I think the more great art that comes out of anywhere is, you know, like I mean, that's. If it's quality, it's quality, and I, and I think something like the Olympics is a platform to be able to to do something really quality. At. And yeah, Coke sponsored it, but you know, Naya sponsors this. Like I don't know, like whatever. So in terms of the way you kind of uh, see day to day life and the stuff that inspires your poetry, then you're not, um, you know, post Olympics, you're not sort of thinking how you're gonna. What are you going to write about now that you have a big limo and that you're swimming in a pool of money? That, that sort of thing is just just not... People actually think that? <laughs> yeah. God, I drive a Honda Civic, you know? It's like, no, it's it's not all Rolls Royces and whatnot. I do Don't well lie, enough. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> I do well enough that I can support myself. I can go see a movie if I want to see a movie, but there's not much beyond that. I think... Uh, I forgot what the question was. Just the Olympics and how it's changed you. Basically, it has the thing that's changed the most for me is that people, people now have a frame of reference for what spoken word is. So, when they hear, "Oh, I'm going to a spoken word show," it, okay, now we now we kind of know what it is. So that's been the best thing about it, because before trying to get people out to a show was, you know. You'd have to be a lover of literature, or like the fans that I've had in, like, all along the way. They, you know, they'd seen me grow throughout that sort of time period, so they, so they knew already. But I think now other people might be more inclined to go out and see a spoken word event, or to go see, you know, some live poetry, which is great. And uh, Jamie uh, often includes some uh, raunchy uh, features in his stuff. Um, are you planning to get these guys to do uh, some, some raunchy action? I've tried to get them so. to do. Yeah, <laughs> I've tried Maya to do get. I've tried to get Maya to do raunchy. It just can't happen. It's like <laughs> Maya. Why won't you do raunchy? I don't know what raunchy really entails. I guess. I mean, sometimes Shane's version of raunchy is just like tell this really dumb <laughs> sex joke, and I'm like. It's not necessarily that it's raunchy, just that it's, it's not that funny. Yeah, raunchy. <laughs> Yeah, um, raunchy, yes or no? Nobody's actually asked me to do any raunch yet. I'm, 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 I'm waiting for, to be asked, but I, I don't know. I agree. I agree. Yeah. You agree? I'm with you on that one. So you've never been asked to do raunch? No. So you guys are ready for some raunch? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bring on the raunch. <laughs> um, great. And just a final question. What's, um, what's next for you as um, uh, writing-wise? Like, what's sort of uh, floating around your head uh, these days that might be in a... In a, in a spoken word piece soon? Um, well, I've got a couple different projects I'm working on. I've got a new book out that's ready to go, and we're hopefully going to see a release date for that pretty soon. I'm working on a, a movie script for the new Mad Max movie, just writing a part of that, and uh, so that's kind of what's been going on uh, right now. For, for my next poem, though, I think I really want to write about hotness and the level of hotness in Vancouver right now. And in your band. And in my band, yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you all. How do you mention it? Thanks for being on the show. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. And that was Shane Koizan and the short story long uh, speaking with me at the Vancouver Folk Festival uh, in, I think it was May 2010, maybe June, maybe it was June, but anyway, uh, spring, summertime earlier 
in uh, in 2010, and uh, as you heard there, Shane Koizan is uh, is working on a new version of Mad Max, which I just I just googled as I heard that uh, just now, and uh, the first thing that pops up it says there will be two new Mad Max movies, um, and uh, it says things there. So yeah, if you uh, you can Google that yourself and, and see what's the story with this uh, Mad Max film. Apparently, Shane Koizan is writing it. Okay, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we will resume with uh, the best interviews of 2010 here on the Arts Report. But uh, uh, immediately after returning from the from the break, we will tell you about the Push Festival and give you a preview. It is coming up on January the 18th and will be running for uh, three weeks and uh, contains lots of uh, exciting uh, performing arts shows, plays, uh, dance pieces, concerts, and other experimental, interesting stuff. So uh, we'll get the scoop from the executive director, Norman Armour, when we come back. Stewie, uh, hey. Hey there. So uh, it's been 24 hours. Got my money? Oh, I, you know what? Just give me till next Friday. I'll have it for you. Oh, oh, that's funny. I could have sworn I said have it today. Yeah, I don't have it. Sorry. Oh, well, all right then. Mm, that's good, OJ. <laughs> Yeah, that hurt? Oh, that hurt? What the hell? Yeah, it feels so good, does it? Oh, no, huh? CITR would like to thank everyone who donated their time, love, and money to Fun Drive 2010. The money raised goes directly into the operating costs of keeping our station on the air. To thank you for your donation, we have prizes that are waiting for you here. If you have not yet picked up your prizes, now is the time. Come down to CITR World Headquarters in room 233 of the Student Union Building on UBC campus between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Monday to Friday. You got till 5 o'clock, you hear me? You got till 5 o'clock. You freaking psychopath! Uh, clean yourself up. Pay your pledge. Get your prizes. It's that simple. Wow, uh, I'm, not, I'm not an uh, expert on, on subtle, subtlety, but I suspect the message of that ad was, uh, was pay up. That if you have donated uh, to CITR in the last uh, fund drive and you haven't, um, you know, uh, divvied forth uh, payment as yet, uh, I think, I'm not sure, but I think the message of that ad was please do that. Um, but it was so gentle. Um, I like the way they stressed, you know, come down to the station and pick up your prize. Uh, while in the background... Uh, there's beatings taking place. That was really funny. Okay, uh, moving on. Push Performing Arts Festival is now in its seventh year, and it's bigger and better than ever. It's theater, dance, visual art, site-specific art. It's just a lot of cool people doing interesting art. And this year's theme is the 125th birthday of Vancouver. So... I spoke to the festival's executive director to find out how this theme will be explored and uh, to find out which shows are the must-sees. And uh, I started by asking Norman Armour uh, about the cover of the festival program, which I have just beside me here, which, uh, which features a black-and-white photo of what appears to be a 1940s brawl. Uh, so there's two guys duking it out, and one guy, there's a person whose head is off the frame, uh, who's pulling one of them aside. Meanwhile, there's all these onlookers looking stunned, and they're all sitting on uh, bleachers, and uh, there's like popcorn on the ground, so it's some sort of uh, spectacle-type event. And this is what's on the, the very front of the, the push uh, program guide, so that's kind of an interesting photograph. So uh, I started by asking, uh, what, what is that all, all about? Oh, and I warn you... Uh, in this interview, uh, my microphone got garbled. Apologies, I have no idea why. 
Well, it's um, it's a new work by uh, Stan Douglas, um, Vancouver-based artist, um, uh, visual artist. Um, it's a brand new work of Stan's. He shot it in September. It kind of fictionalizes a, a hockey uh, fight, a mm. uh, fight in the stands of a, an arena in Carousel in the 1940s, and uh, it's uh, really quite an arresting image, and quite different than we've done in the past. We've usually mm-hmm. sort of taken an image from a show or, or such, um, but with the thematics of the festival this year, with this focus on, on the idea of cityness and the 125th anniversary, he, he seemed a very appropriate choice. And it's uh, like he's known for making recreations, is that what, mm-hmm. uh, what this is? It is, yeah. It's. I think it's loosely based on on, on an incident, but I'm sure there's been lots of various incidents. <laughs> sure. And and with his work, there's a really beguiling sort of sense of ambiguity as you. The more you look at the photograph and trying to figure out, you know, photography often has the sense of a, a moment in time, and and where we look to fill in the space, the time before and the time afterwards, in mm-hmm. a sense, create a narrative and. Um, some notion about what ha- what's happening here and what's at, you know what's at stake. What are the issues? What are the individuals? What what um, caused this fight and, and and such? And and his work is wonderfully dense and, and enjoyable. Just sort of the more you look at it, the more you get out of it. Mm-hmm. And we wanted something that was you know that would catch people's attention. We've always tried to do something that had a bit of a kind of a hook. And it's not so much of selling a specific show, but it's an idea of expressing the intent and the spirit of the festival. And from year to year, we try and kind of make that specific to uh, to any given year. Now, speaking of the uh, spirit of the festival, uh, this year you're celebrating the 125th anniversary of the city of Vancouver, right? Well, it's one of our, yeah, one of the things that we got hooked on a few years ago, you know, hearing that the... Um, that the uh, 125th anniversary was coming up and that it might be a kind of way to focus our curatorial thoughts and, and such. And so we have a number of pieces, um, one called 100% Vancouver, which involves 100 Vancouverites who represent the demographics of the city. They're, they've been cast and gathered together over the last um, uh, few months, actually 100 days, and uh, they're a part of a performance down at uh, SFU Woodward's in the Faye and Milton Warren Theatre. And... Um, we have a group from England, uh, artist called Peter Reeder, who's going to be in town for a few weeks, working a few weeks working with local artists on a piece called City of Dreams. We have a company from Antwerp who does studies of cities. They've got two great pieces: one called uh, Ikaluit, which is about Ikaluit, none of it, and then another one called Bonanza, which is about a small rural town in in uh, Colorado that has seven residents and five households, and nobody can decide who's mayor. So it's about a sort of a kind of type of a set of politics. And then we have La Marea, which is um, uh, a Argentinian uh, uh, work that'll be uh, site-specific down in Gastown. It's going to be free to the public. It runs for five nights in the first week of the festival. Right, and that one, that one, sorry, that one's going to take over a whole city block, is that right? Yeah, yeah, we're going to, yeah, the... It's a um, co-production collaboration with uh, Boca de Lupo, who does site-specific works in, in the park, has for a number of years, and they're collaborating with uh, um, four Argentinian artists, uh, led by a man named Mariano Pansati, and it involves three schools, Studio 58, uh, Theatre at UBC, and SFU, and um, School for Contemporary Arts, and there's like 30 students involved, I think there's about 60 people involved in the production in total, and it's it's um it's in the storefronts and on the streets in the zero hundred block of uh, of Water Street in Gastown, hmm. and so it's between Abbott and Carroll, and and it's kind of like 
walking onto a movie set uh, in a way, and you've been allowed into the sort of behind the scenes, and it happens in storefront windows and on the street. And there's very little dialogue, but it's uh, but what you get is the subtext, the, the thoughts of the characters, and they're projected on the storefront windows and, and on the street. And there's ten, or sorry, nine different scenes, and they happen in rot- um, You know, they uh, they they happen simultaneously, and they 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 for over a course of two hours, they get repeated and again and again and again. And you can move in any order, so you sort of kind of put the evening together in your own kind really? of narrative, personal narrative. Yeah. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's it's a remarkable piece. It's a piece I saw quite a number of years back in Dublin, and. We have a real interest in connecting the local scene to international practitioners, other artists who perhaps are like-minded and have an interest in each other's work and, and bringing people into the city for hopefully sort of extended period of time where they can be in residence and collaborate together. And uh, um, so La Marea, you know, sort of expresses that spirit at the core of it. And it's also, you know, Gastown is, is a remarkable sort of part of the city in terms of the history of Vancouver. And gone through a lot of changes over the last few years and and so this is um, perhaps a, an opportunity to come for people to kind of experience gas town in a new way and kind of catch up on the energy that's happening down there that sounds great now um we're, we're out of time but i just want to quickly ask you about the the different options because uh there are the main shows but there's also club push and there's an assembly things like that can you briefly touch on that yeah um the club the club is a great thing it's um it's a venue down on granville island it's the venue is called Performance Works, but we brand it as the uh, Club Push, and it runs for the last two weeks of the festival, which is basically the 24th until uh, February 6th. And it has more sort of cutting edge, more kind of experimental works. I like to sort of, you know, draw the analogy to if you were in New York in the late 40s and you entered into a jazz uh, jazz club and, and heard Charlie Parker playing, you know, it's a sense of sort of people really on the edge of, of experimenting with form and ideas and notions of performance. And there's uh, late night music there, local bands, um, and there's a real bit of a focus on the Pacific Northwest, and, and it's a great place to hang out. And uh, there's alcohol, and one can drink and, enjoy, and often meet up with artists and other patrons of the festival. So it's a great thing. There's some a whole collection of shows in there, and uh, late night. Um, And that was Norman Armour talking about the Push Festival that begins on January the 18th. Um, Yeah, I don't know why I sounded sounded, uh, strange. It reminds me of an interview I did once with a fellow named uh, Kinky Friedman who was down in Texas. And uh, it was a long-distance call. And I said, you know, am I coming through the line okay? And he says, Adam, you sound like an angry bee. And uh, that's kind of what it sounded like there, like a furious little bee. Uh, so yeah, apologies for that. Now, uh, as for uh, push, uh, there is uh, lots of information that you can get at the website in terms of what uh, shows, what uh, shows are, are going to be playing, and the different kinds of shows. We were talking about it in an interview just there. There are main shows. Like if you look at the website where I'm staring right now, there are the main shows, and that, then you'll get a list of uh, of things. And then there's club push, which is the more kind of uh, offbeat. Um, and uh, avant-garde kind of stuff. And then there's also uh, Assembly, the Push Assembly, which is a performing arts industry initiative offering, offering global networking opportunities. And uh, you can get more information on that and uh, prices and tickets and times and that sort of thing. Um, and you can find out, uh, you know, you can d- develop your networking repertoire of international artists because there are tons of, of artists from all over the world 
uh, at Push, not just uh, local artists, although there are tons of those as well. And uh, and just yeah, quickly about this this uh, this photograph, it's uh, that's on the on the Push uh, guide. It's amazing how old it looks. It honestly does look like it's from the 1940s. I think you can pick up these uh, these fringe fringe haha <laughs> these push guides you can uh, find them uh i think in the in the georgia strait i think they're going to be wedged in there and i'm sure um they're all over uh the city by now uh wherever you know newspapers and magazines are to be found i'm sure you can find a push guide and um yeah stan douglas this artist is famous for taking real uh photographs like uh, he takes photographs that are that already exist and he recreates them to, to the most minute uh, detail. So he he uh, he finds period costumes and uh, and all these little you know knickknacks, even like garbage on the ground. He will find uh, or make a replica of it and restage this event. So that's what he's done here, as far as I know, of a 1940s uh, hockey brawl, and um, you know the clothes, the makeup. There's one woman. Actually, there's only. Two people. There's there's about uh, twelve or thirteen people in this shot, uh, but you can only see faces of two of them. One of the fighters, and he's all grimacing, and a woman, um, who looks very period period nineteen forties, and she just kind of looks stunned. But um, even in black and white, you can see that that uh, it's it's they nailed the nineteen forties look. And um, so yeah, interesting interesting fellow that Stan Douglas, and cool idea to have one of his photographs, uh, one of his art. Pieces, I guess I should say, on the cover of the uh, Push Festival Guide. All right, so uh, we're going to take a, a wee break, and when we come back, we will have more of the best interviews of 2010 here uh, on the Arts Report, and uh, after the break, we'll have uh, Die Roten Punkte, which were uh, Fringe Festival, uh, are always Fringe Festival favorites, so stay with us. UBC's Museum of Anthropology displays long-term and visiting exhibits of indigenous art from around the world, and guided tours are free. Our permanent collection features one of the world's finest exhibits of Northwest Coast First Nations art. Our collection includes 36,000 ethnographic pieces, 535,000 archaeological pieces, and over 600 pieces in the Kroner Ceramics Gallery. There's a lot to take in. Luckily, at the Museum of Anthropology, final exams are always take-home. If you've never checked out this world-class facility, now's your chance. The Museum of Anthropology is located right on campus and free for all UBC students and faculty. Come enjoy our collection and resources. A favorite of the Fringe Festival in Vancouver and cities all over the world, really, is uh, Die Roten Punkte. They're a comic send-up of a White Stripes-ish rock band. Otto and Astrid Rott are a brother-sister duo from Germany. Die Roten Punkte means the red dots or the red spots in German. And uh, during their shows, they sing uh, hilarious songs that are also very well-written and, uh, and very well-performed, like very polished uh, rock songs. And uh, these songs are about things such as how um, they are not robots, but in fact lions, uh, or a song about uh, a burger store dinosaur. Uh, let's see what else. They, they bicker on the stage, they drink, they, they fight, uh, they talk about their personal lives and, and things like that all while pretending it's like a it's like a show like a concert 
and uh, and it's good fun for us in the audience because you know it's not it's not your typical little play. Uh, it's a show. Yeah, it's a hawk show. So the duo came into our studio uh, just ahead of the Fringe Fest back in September of 2010, and uh, we had uh, a swell, uh, fun chat. Uh, a little warning here: there's a bit of distortion in uh, Otto's voice just for the first few seconds, but then it goes away. So here's Otto and Astrid Rot. Uh, Astrid and Otto, welcome to the Arts Report. Adam, Hi, thank Adam. you for having us here in this cool studio at UBC. Yeah, and when C-R-T-R. I say cool, I don't mean cold. It's 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 warm, but like you call, you walk down this little. Uh, you know, cool and corridor. Yeah, and you're like in this cool cave. This graffiti. <laughs> yeah, with like boots. And, um, r- you know, CDs, and it's yeah. all rock and roll into this tiny little studio, and Adam is here with yeah. cool shoes. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah, zips with no zips. They have the zippers without any zippers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thanks for having us here. It's a pleasure. Thanks for making it all the way from Germany to, to Vancouver. Although I should say you're, you're on tour. You're slowly making your yeah. way we across have. Canada. We are. We, yeah. Well, we started, we went to the UK first. Mm-hmm. Back, no, we went to Sydney. Sydney Did in com- Australia. Our manager yeah. keeps putting us in comedy festivals. Yeah, it's a bit weird. In yeah. a bit weird comedy, for a rock group. Yeah, for rock and roll concerts, yeah. you know. We won Best Comedy in Victoria. They just keep laughing at us. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. We can hear them laughing and stuff. I think stuff. they're all on drugs. I don't mind. Just, just laugh. L- yeah. People yeah. do act strangely on drugs. As long as they're having yeah. fun, you know. They were having fun. Yeah. Yeah, so... And in Winnipeg, you uh, were picked as the, the best of the French. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. a nice feeling because it means we're like the cool kids. The yeah, cool. So, well, in Winnipeg, to be fair, that's not very hard. <laughs> Have you been to Winnipeg? <laughs> no, I haven't. You, you would be surprised, you there know. Are, there really? are some cool places. It's pretty yeah. hip. Yeah. You know, Asad, not all of it. She has been in Pockets. trouble there, you know. Really? What do you mean? Well, you know, she was in drug and alcohol no, rehabilitation no, I, center. I went away mm. on holiday. You know, a lot of that was from people she met in Winnipeg. Yeah, is that right? There's a great bar there called the Albert. Wow. Yeah, and it has Ali's Albert. Maybe something. I just, just Albert, I remember. Yeah, wow. she was. There was a picture of her on, on the front of the <laughs> newspaper, and she was lying. I was having a great time <laughs> in the gutter. It's a cool place. You and should come and party with me there. Yeah. <laughs> they even do breakfast. You can stay there. All night and then have breakfast. <laughs> have you done that? She have you stayed there yeah, all yeah. night breakfast? I kind of live there when I'm in Winnipeg. It was a bad photo. She was lying in a pool of sick. No, no, it, it <laughs> wasn't. It was it was tahini from my falafel. I don't think there was at all. It was. It fell out of the. You know when you buy falafel and. Okay, guys, please oh. let's let's try to stay Sorry. focused on the interview. So, okay. Um, so uh, tell me about the new album Kunstrock. Yes. Kunstrock, art rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's just great. You know, we're really proud. We haven't actually recorded the whole thing yet. We're still actually in the middle. Ah. We've we've made two songs, uh, and they're a little more arty, you know, mm. like singing notes that we never even would think of singing before, but yeah. we're taking risks with this album, yeah. you know. And in and the show, there's like a whole mini rock opera in six parts. Yeah. Really? Called Grunewald. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and also, I sing a song called Second Best Friend. Yeah. With loops. Loops, yeah. You know, like we 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 decided it was would be cool if Astrid could, uh, you know, just get out the front Rock and out like peaches, you know, oh, yeah, okay. and not have to play drums. Have someone else already done it. Yeah, so we use loops. We use the loops for that. Mm. Yeah, and uh, tell me a bit about your sort of uh, your process in, in when you, when putting an album together. Um, for this one, I mean, this one is still this sort of one coming had a together. Very long process. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's still going. In fact, it was yeah. amazing because we used all all this money that we made from the last album and just spent it all. Yeah, we yeah. we we got this these musical scientists 
to uh, build a, like a musical laboratory. It was horrible. It was amazing. Like a small concrete room. Yeah, wow. underground. Yeah. It was. But they put it miles away. Yeah, like no in distractions the, in the at all. It yeah. was awful. Yeah. I was and, all alone with yeah. Otto. And uh, <laughs> I was reading a lot of uh, Brian Eno. Out loud. <laughs> now uh, you say you were, you were alone, you, you were stuck together. Yeah, I wonder what your relationship, what? what is, how do you get along when you're on tour? Because there's a lot of stops. It's, it can be quite stressful to tour from place to place. Yeah, yeah. It's it it is difficult for us, but you know, um, you know, Astrid, you know, f she has always been like a, a mother figure no, to I me. No, I'm not. And uh, no, I, she, no, she's just always, you know, looking out for me. And now I have a chance to look after her because she has had some problems. No, you are not looking after me. I am having fun. Yeah. And doing my thing. Yeah. And you can do your thing. Yeah, I know. That's how it goes. Yeah, but you know, like. It it ha it's been you gotta admit it's been like hard for you. Anyway, we did this thing called creative development for three months in mm. this tiny room, and our Otto just kept making us listen to sounds over yeah. and over again. That, that's what Brian Eno says: get inspired by yeah, little sounds. little sounds, and you know, you, you little even just little random things. You know, can is that is think. that one of your influences on this album, Brian Eno? Oh, he's huge. He's really he's like the a gatekeeper of art rock you know he he understands music in a way that Otto uh, doesn't yeah <laughs> I'm yeah. trying to understand it like him yeah so finally I had to say come on you know we should be writing some songs yeah and that's when we actually got into doing the proper work but it's okay. been great so all, all the songs are written and we've made videos for two of the songs yeah. one is uh the first one is burger store dinosaur, dinosaur. It's about a dinosaur who works in a in a burger store, yeah. and he's not very happy. You know, mm. so he saves all his money. He keeps counting his money. Yeah, and he he goes to live in Spain and yes. goes to art college. Yeah, and uh, he he meets a, a girl, a dinosaur. Yeah, and they hang out and they, they, have they go lots on of a dinosaur date. Sex. No, they don't. They do. It doesn't where does it say in the song they do it's that? It's in the subtext. <laughs> <laughs> there is no line that says they go out, they no, hang out. No, but that out. is why it's called art rock because it's arty. It's it's implied. It is not. It just it. He meets her mother and they go That's, on a few dates. It doesn't say that out. in the in the song either. But it's clear. It's no. clear. They okay, let, let me let me uh, stop you there. Uh, as a last question, I'd like to know what uh, what does D Rotenpunkte listen to? What's on your iPod? Hannah Montana, perhaps? No, oh. no. But I do quite like that song, The Climb. It's so inspirational. Is that one of her songs? Yeah, it's familiar. the climb. It's not. It's, it's not <laughs> one of my favorite songs. Those people songs at home, if you if you listen, uh, our music is very different to that. I grew up listening to um, like the Pixies and um, Iggy Pop, David Bowie, yeah. and the Ramones and stuff like that. And now, Brandy. I really like uh, Beirut. There's a band called Beirut. Do you know them? Mm -hmm. They're great. And uh, Tokyo Police Club. I've been mm. listening to the latest Arcade Fire CD. Oh, that's amazing. That's really yeah. great. You should be proud, Canada. Yeah. We are. You're producing some great bands. I know. And uh, What about the White Stripes? How do you feel about them? They're great. They we. Do. It's so amazing. That whole thing. You know, it's like they keep following us around, you know. Do you think that they take some inspiration from you? Well, I'm not sure. I, I think it, it could be just a big coincidence mm. that... They are brother and sister. It's mm. like we were in Berlin and they were in Detroit. And one day, someone, Astrid actually, she said to me, have a look at this. Oh, there is this band. Brother, sister. They are but brother they and are sister. they are not brother, sister. You know, they just pretend. Yeah, oh. that's... So would you go so, as, so far as to say that you are more authentic than the White Stripes? Well, we are brother and sister. That's right. That's and true. not. Yeah. Yeah. And they also play big instruments. We play mini instruments. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because uh, Otto tried to play big guitars, but his hands are too small. That's no, that is not the reason. All right, well, that's all the time we have. Oh. But, Jibrot uh, and Punkta, we uh, look very forward to your show in Vancouver. Um, yeah. Thanks, all, Adam. All the best. Come and rock Woo. at Performance Works yeah. with us. Okay, see you on Granville Island. And that's Otto and Astrid Rot from D. Roten Puncta, who were here in September for the Vancouver Fringe Festival. Um, I went to see, after that interview, I went to see the show at, uh, at the Fringe, and what's great is that I think it was at uh, Performance Works, and at Performance Works, you are allowed to get uh, a beverage. So I had a beverage or two or three, and uh, halfway through the show, I needed to go to the bathroom. And, uh, but, you know, I didn't want to miss a minute. So I waited uh, at least until they weren't doing their bantery bits and, and just went into a song. Um, and then I got up to go. And as I was uh, heading across uh, towards the door, they stopped playing. And they're like, uh-oh, someone, someone is leaving. Why, why, where are you going? And, um, and uh, really put me on, on the spot. And I said, I have to go, I have to, go to the bathroom. They're like, but how will you know how the song finishes if you don't stay? Ah. That's Arnold Schwarzenegger, I don't know why. But um, fun times, fun times. I don't think, luckily, I don't think they recognized me in the darkness uh, from the interview. Otherwise, they might have uh, been even more upset or embarrassed me even further, but they didn't. All right, uh, moving right along, we have two more interviews that I'm trying to squeeze in here. Uh, in August, we did a special on Shambhala, the big music festival out in eastern BC. And along with artists and organizers, I interviewed Jamie Macbeth from a group called Anchors that was running a harm reduction program on the grounds of Shambhala. Uh, grounds that include a huge campus of venues, food stalls, market shops, and most importantly, thousands of tents and RVs of festival goes from everyone, everywhere, excuse me, from Vancouver, from Calgary, from Montana, and everywhere in between. So anyway, this uh, initiative involved a pill-testing tent uh, as well as a sanctuary sort of chill-out room uh, on top of uh, what's, you know, standard, uh, a first-aid tent um, that was there. And uh, the purpose of, of this was to help people be smart about uh, their party drugs, to be informed about what they're, they're taking, about how mixing drugs will affect them, and, of course, to just provide a safe place to, to trip out. Um, yeah, so I heard a lot of uh, positive feedback about this interview. It's very informative, and uh, Jamie is a super intelligent, grounded person, and, uh, and she was great to talk to. So uh, here we go. Okay, so tell me a little bit about um, harm reduction and pill testing and um, what goes on in that process. Okay, so harm reduction at a party is trying to meet people where they're at, uh, create a relationship of trust and respect, and find out what people are doing, whether it's drugs or sex or a risky behavior, um, find out what people are doing and try to reduce the risk around that with trust and respect and education. Um, so here, a lot of it is uh, we do pill testing, um, we hand out condoms, we talk about, obviously, like how to take the drugs from the dosage, because often there's no real education around dosage, which is dangerous. Um, the pill testing looks like, uh, it's a very simple test, it's simply a reagent test. So what we can do is uh, the client will scrape the pill or open up the cap or give us a little bit of powder and we can put reagent on it. And if it, it can test positive for MDMA, MDA, MDE, so an ecstasy-like substance, it can test positive for ketamine, for speed, for DXM, which is uh, like cough syrup, um, and it can test positive for uh, 2CB or 2CT class family. Uh, if it doesn't show for those, 
then we simply can say it's not testing for what you thought it was, and so we recommend you don't take it. So it's not the perfect test, but for what we can afford to do, it, it does help prevent overdose. And um, what can it register more than one? drug? No. So if it shows positive for MDMA, that's it. Then it, it turns black and then you know that it has the presence of, of an MDMA-like substance and you don't know what it's cut with. So that gives us the window of opportunity to talk about dosage because uh, what we often see, see at raves is that people are taking four or five hits a night and one, you're wasting money if you're doing that, right? Why? Why is that? <laughs> the way ecstasy works on the brain is it releases your serotonin and dopamine levels and after you take two caps of the, it's gone, and it's gone for about a week, right? And so um, that's if it's acting on your serotonin and dopamine. So if you are getting high after your two hits of your two caps of E, you're getting high off the meth or the speed or the drain or whatever is cut into your E, right? Okay. So that's so that's part of the, the deal with education around dosing is it gives it, it gives us that opportunity to jump in there and and um, do a little harm management. Okay. Yeah. And what about mixing? What is What are some of the harms of mixing drugs? Oh, my God. <laughs> so a big one. Um, mixing drugs is dangerous. And one thing that we see at raves is a lot of people come from booze culture, kind of like high school booze culture, where you hit it as hard Binge as you can, culture. right? Yeah. And so trying to do that with drugs is just asking to die. <laughs> um, so... One of the big dangers is mixing a depressant with a depressant, right? So GHB or ketamine with alcohol. Uh, GHB is the number one ODer at raves. Um, there's a lot of uh, at a at a high dose you go into a GHB coma, and then lots of things can happen where you can vomit and choke on your own vomit, or simply you just don't wake up. Your respiration, your respiratory system just conks out. Right. So the depressing effects are so strong that you just basically yeah. stop. Yeah, exactly. Um, but also mixing uppers with downers is also dangerous because your heart can get freaked out and stop. Um, at, uh, at raves, at parties, also mixing alcohol with any drug is dangerous. Why? There's a sign in there. There's a sign in there. It says alcohol plus, plus drugs equals like equals bad news. Bad and, news. And actually, a lot of people are like, "No, it's awesome." <laughs> um, yeah, it's not the greatest thing to do. Like for instance, most ecstasy overdoses happen when people are drinking alcohol. It's just toxic. And there's some designer drugs that are sold as ecstasy at, at big parties. Uh, like 2CT7, which if you mix it with alcohol, it's deadly. Deadly, oh, really? deadly, yes. And so if you don't, again, if you don't have testing, just to promote harm reduction, if you don't have testing facilities, you don't know what you're taking, your risk increases, right? Harm reduction in general um, and, and pill testing and that sort of thing, education, I'm going to guess you feel that that works better than promoting Absolutely. abstinence, especially at raves where people aren't coming here to abstain. Sure. Okay, so I think there's two ways of looking at it. Abstinence is a choice in the harm reduction model, interestingly, right? Harm reduction is simply creating a relationship of honesty and trust by education, by giving someone all the facts. If you look at the traditional abstinence model, often the facts are not given, right? If, if, if you look at uh, teaching safe sex in schools by teaching abstinence-based approach, they don't teach the whole truth. So what you're offering is you're offering every single choice, all the information someone needs to make an educated choice. Abstinence might be within that educated choice, right? So harm reduction is not Doesn't antithetical to, to abstinence. It's not the opposite of abstinence. No. Like, for instance, uh, what I often hear 
this old school idea of uh, well you're you're promoting sex or you're promoting drugs right and the truth is what we know as harm reduction practitioners is that people are going to do this behavior right people are going to do drugs people are going to drink people are going to have sex so when we hide what we do our risk increases Facts. Yeah. Our risk increases, so when, when we don't have knowledge about the things that we're doing, yeah. it's it's more bad news. It equals a greater amount of yeah. bad news. It's is a that... new sign. <laughs> it's a new <laughs> sign for the harm reduction test. <laughs> With some people that I've talked to, um, they make a discrepancy between ecstasy and MDMA. Are you are you uh -huh. hearing that from people? And sure, sure, sure. Because back back sure. in my day, I mean, it was just ecstasy, and, yeah. and there wasn't uh, that distinction wasn't made. Ecstasy meant MDMA, and sometimes it was cut with something else. But now, are, are you hearing that? Sure. So um, I think part of that is about uh, people that really want to believe that their stuff is pure. <laughs> and I have to say, as a drug tester, uh, you kind of need a time machine to get pure MDMA, right? So ecstasy, my understanding of ecstasy is a party drug that is usually some MDMA and a bit of speed or a bit of meth or something slipped in there so you can dance for 14 hours straight, right? Um, back in the day, like when MDMA was created and MDA was created, back in the 70s or 80s in the US, it was used for um, couples counseling and it was super chill. It wasn't, you didn't want to go dance for 12 hours, you wanted to spill your guts to the person you love and tell them every little detail about yourself. Uh, so, so it has been modified. Um, but I think there's kind of a, uh, people have fallen in love with the chemistry of party drugs and so there's a lot of um, people with knowledge talking a lot. <laughs> In a good way or a bad way? That's debatable. <laughs> um, people are people are trying to be involved, right? And that that has different faces. Interesting. It's yeah. funny. Uh, I'm curious about what that means. A lot of people are very interested now in the chemistry of these drugs, especially MDMA and others. And, yeah. and are you saying are you saying that they they think they know a lot of things that they <laughs> don't actually know anything about? Well, I won't I won't go that far. <laughs> But I think, you know, you always have kind of armchair revolutionaries in the world, and this, this scene is no different. It's like we always get someone, and there's people who have incredible knowledge. There are people who, who are little chemists, like little amateur chemists, right, and have studied this stuff and, and have tested it on themselves and tested it on their friends, and, and so there's a whole spectrum of knowledge out there. Um, but I think kind of there's ownership around the names and the chemistry and like I'm super hardcore. <laughs> I know like yeah, whatever. I, I take I, uh, two CI yeah. ten. Blah, and blah, I know blah. that it's methylene dioxy, <laughs> yeah, 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 et cetera, yeah, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. So that's part of the scene too. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I think you touched on this that um, people make assumptions about the purity of their stuff. Um, yeah. A, a common one that I've heard is that um, when it's powder, yeah. it's pure. But if it's pressed, yeah. oh, it's got stuff in it. I mean, is there any truth to that kind of stuff? Or, okay, so or, or um, pressed versus um, capsules? Okay, so what I can say is by merit of a pressed tab, a pressed pill, it's less pure because it has to have a binder in it, right? And it's easier to throw a bunch of, can I say shit? Throw a bunch yes. of shit in there. It's easier, right? And in our testing, press pills are always, almost always the culprits. Always. And I can actually reveal some information about that later. Um, the caps, if you open up a cap, if, if you're experienced enough, you can open up a cap. You can look at the powder and see if it's mixed. It's not rocket science, right? Uh, but I think there is a, a love affair with this idea of purity. And, and I hear it all the time. 
uh, this Shambhala, it's been about 2CB. It's like, it's so pure. I got 2CB, and none of them have been 2CB. <laughs> really? <laughs> we don't know what they are, but they're not 2CB. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and then you are saying you had some information you could give about something? Well, that, that, was, <laughs> that, that, was, that was my little gem for oh, you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that little, little bonus. Well, um, thank you very much uh, about uh, for speaking to me about this. Yeah. Is there anything else about um, this pavilion that you'd like to, to mention or any? Well, I guess maybe if I can say something about... Um, about partying is uh, just going back to the GHB factor is I just urge people if you're choosing to do GHB as a party drug as a recreational drug be super careful about your dose be super careful about if you are drinking alcohol like don't drink alcohol and take GHB be really careful about your dose because it goes from you're intoxicated to you're in a coma like that and I mean, last year there was something like 15 overdoses for GHB, and it's just really dangerous. So I would love, and it's dangerous on many levels, right? It's like if you're a person passed out on the ground, if you're a young woman passed out on the ground, this is not an innocent world, unfortunately. So what, Even here in Shambhala, it's not all purely in innocent? Shambhala, yeah, tragically, tragically. There's a dark side to all humanity. So um, I would just urge people to to be aware if you're choosing if you're choosing to play, then know what you're playing with. That's what I would say. Yeah. Thank you very much. No problems. And that's Jamie Macbeth in one of my favorite interviews of 2010, giving us some uh, straight talk about drugs. Okay, we've got uh, one more interview from uh, the Best of 2010 collection here at the Arts Report, and we're going to squeeze it in before we before we run off. Uh, Discord Radio is uh, is coming up after us, and that's very exciting. Uh, but uh, one more about uh, back in September, George Strombolopoulos was retooling his show, uh, The Hour, into George Strombolopoulos Tonight, and in recognition of said change, we had him on the arts report before the interview i posted on my wall on facebook asking my friends if there was anything in particular i should ask george my friend melinda responded she wanted me to ask him how he maintains his hotness so i thought all right i'll ask him first off thanks for being on the arts report happy to be here thanks for having me sir so um, I understand with the with the show now with the retooling it, you you're sort of following in the steps of uh, mike bullard and uh, there's certainly been a vacuum um, in the sort of uh, talk show area in Canada since uh, since he left. And so, um, as well, um, you know, many have decried a lack of a of a star system. You know, a cultural sort of system of magazines and, and shows in Canada. Yeah. So my question is: are, are you trying to save Canada with your show? <laughs> no. God no. Hell no. It doesn't need to be saved. It's it's fine the way it is. Um, no, what we are is we're just part of the conversation, right? And we want to drive a certain part of the conversation that perhaps doesn't have a driver um, for a lot of reasons. Like there isn't there isn't a show like ours that puts, you know, like last night Michael Ignatieff and Robert Plant on the same program, and both voices are relevant. And both voices should be heard. You know, tonight Jack Layton and Paul Haggis, and tomorrow we'll talk to Anthony Bourdain, and we'll have Zach Galifianakis, but also Deepak Chopra coming on. You know, there's, so there's there needs to be a place where there can be a national conversation. That's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. The lack of a star system in Canada doesn't bother me that much because we don't have a tabloid culture, mm-hmm. which I like. The, the reason why the television business is, and the star system is, as I think, where it is is because I don't think that TV and film work very well together in this country. I think the reason why the TV business is so strong in America is because Hollywood was so strong as a film business, and one feeds the other. And then if you look, right, when Hollywood um, created all these stars, they made the move to television. Mm -hmm. And then television stars made the move to film, and that's what you need to do in this country. 
we have these CanCon regulations that regulate how many Canadian songs get played, and television has to have Canadian content, but theaters are not required to run Canadian film. Mm-hmm. So if theaters are not required to run Canadian films in any way, shape, or form, how is anybody going to see them? Mm-hmm. And if no one's going to see them, how do you build a business? Right. So until we, ad- until we address the fact that the Canadian film business, it gets, it gets funding, but the funding isn't, they don't get the next step, which is the kind of thing that all the Canadian musicians out there were heavily supported. Mm-hmm. And there were tons of Canadian uh, musicians who would never have gotten on the radio if it wasn't for CanCon. Mm-hmm. Tons. Believe me, I worked in radio stations at that time, and the program directors would say, if it wasn't for CanCon, we wouldn't play this. But but it was necessary for for a few decades because it created the environment that Canadians could do this, right? Right, and Same thing for, I, think for, I think Canadian film and television is back where Canadian um, music was in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got a couple of breakouts, but it's time to really build the culture. And so once the film and TV, it, this is just my opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Once they start working together a little bit more hand-in-hand, hand, and once the, the industry starts to support Canadian film, I think that's going to help all of it. Okay. Now, um, with the, the changing of the, the name to George Strombolopoulos tonight, um, it, it brings to mind, I wonder, um, what, what's been the funniest or the worst uh, mispronunciation of your name? Um, I did a, an interview yesterday. Some guy kept calling me Strombopoulos, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> um, I like Strombopoulos, but with a last name like mine, it's, it's insane, right? I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, people keep doing GST when they hear the name of the show. What? Like George Robert oh, okay, okay. GST, and then I kind of laugh and I say it's because I'm going to give him seven percent more effort. <laughs> right. But then in a couple of years I'm going to cut it down to six, and then eventually five. <laughs> down to five, and then eventually. But then I'll harmonize it, and yeah. we all win. Flash, <laughs> we lose. Yeah, you'll have to change George to something with an H, I guess. Yeah. Totally. Um, let me ask you about. Um, you know, you, you've had a. It seems like a, a pretty uh, straight trajectory. Uh, steadily upward uh, from your start in radio to, to much music to, to now TV, um, but I wonder if there's been any any uh, epic uh, screw ups along the way that you could share. Oh yeah, man! I hosted the uh, what was at the time the most um, like the greatest fail in the history of American show primetime shows, and I was the host of that show. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, so and believe me, man, when you host the biggest failure ever, you know about it. Um, <laughs> But uh, thankfully, several shows have come on and failed more spectacularly since. So I'm not even in the top, the bottom five now. But uh, no, I, I, the truth is, and, I, and, I, and it sounds like I'm spinning this to you, but I'm not. Um, I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. Uh, in the course of your your life, you you it, it's not about winning, 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 because all that is is a career. Mm-hmm. And I don't want a career. I want a life. And so I, I don't. If you if you have shows that are successful at every turn, then that may be great for your career. But in your life, you're not learning stuff. You're not finding out new things about you. You're not learning how to handle another area of your life. There's all these things that I wouldn't know how to do mm-hmm. if I didn't go through that experience. So I, I, everybody just assumes that you, it's your career trajectory is good, but it's not really about that to me. It's about am I living the best version of my life? Because I got to be honest with you, man. Be it this or being a sandwich maker at Subway or Mr. Submarine, I'd be fine with that. Too, right like this is what I love to do and this is the voice that I have and I'm able to get away with it right now but I want to know that when I'm 40 or even 38 which is I am now am I living the best version of my life today and and that's why I like epic failures because I've had you know nice successes and I've had my most successful show on much music was a show that I hated more than anything <laughs> right that? like I love the new music that was my favorite show to do that's the reason I got into television you know accidentally uh, but no one watched that show that's the show that allowed me to get this TV show, but nobody watched the new music. Everybody watched the show called Fandemonium, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I despised that show, and I, and, I, and I hated myself for doing it, but I learned, you know, another layer, another, I, learned, I found another voice in my head to be on the air. I could find all these little things. Mm-hmm. So I need successes and failures to have a, a more enriched life, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Now, uh, just quickly, I have one last question. This is from my friend Melinda, and she wants to know how... Melinda or Belinda? Melinda with an M. Hello, Melinda. Um, she wants to know, how are you so sexy every day? Is there a special diet you consume to maintain your hotness? <laughs> Well, first of all, thank you for thinking that, but that's not accurate. Uh, um, um, I'm a Satanist, right? And so every day I get up, and I'm just kidding. Um, so that's a, how am I going to answer that question? I, I don't know. Anything is fine. <laughs> no, can you imagine that? Uh, thank, thank you, Melinda. You're very sweet. Awesome. Thanks very much for your time. It was a pleasure. A pleasure, man. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye -bye. All right. See ya. Bye. And that was George Strombolopoulos tonight. Or with the show, uh, George Trombolopoulos tonight, George Trombolopoulos, blah, 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 blah. All right, I'm out of time. I apologize. I've run late. Um, uh, you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. This was The Arts Report. Coming up next is Disc Order Radio, so uh, stick with us. Very 7th. Join those creative forces, Discorder Magazine, and Vancouver is Awesome, as they party with some of Vancouver's best local bands. 41st and Home, Ono oh Yoko, 